Well, welcome this morning. I want to um, I want to thank you very much for being here. Really appreciate uh, uh, really appreciate your uh, your your uh, attendance this morning, and um, excited here to be with you. Uh, one point that Roger brought up that I want to make sure that everybody does is please make sure that you sign in today, um, so that you you know if you uh, participate in this and three other events, Roger, right? During GIC, um, you're eligible for a credit towards a mission trip. So please make sure that you sign in, and we'll make sure that that gets duly noted. So thank you very much for doing that. Uh, second thing is a couple of announcements. Uh, and I did not get a chance to change. We actually just made this change yesterday, so before these uh, got, after these got printed. So we have changed the date for April from April 6th to the April 13th. Uh, April 6th is spring break. And um, a lot of people are going to be gone, so we're going to we're going to move that. So it'll be April thirteenth next month. So please make a note accordingly. I will send out an email to make sure that everybody is aware of that. Okay. Um, second thing is, so we're excited. We got we got speakers lined up. Um, uh, you know, today um, Robert Holes is going to be speaking. Uh, Art Rogers is going to be speaking, and Jim Bostic is going to be speaking. That's the order of our next three speakers. Uh, we're still trying to figure out which, who's going to do which month, which, and um, I've also gotten a request to ask Mike Long to speak again before he, before he leaves. So I'm going to try to get on Mike's calendar as well. Okay, sound good? All right. Um, so that's good. Um, so you are in the right place today. Okay. Somebody asked, "Am I in the right place?" We have, uh, we have our first female guest. Can we give it up for Virginia? <laughs> And I told her, I said, all right, the, the one thing you got to keep in mind is we tell our wives that we eat oatmeal and berries. So if you had breakfast, that's all we ask, right? So if you have breakfast this morning, we had oatmeal and berries, no bacon, no biscuits, no gravy, none of that stuff. So that's all we ask, right? So, um, so anyway, so, but I'm just really glad to, uh, have, uh, Virginia here and, and Hilma. Um, uh, Virginia's going to share a little bit about uh, Action Ministries and some of the work uh, that we're doing here in the, in the community. Um, you all are familiar with Action. Uh, we had John Moeller come speak before, and I'm sure uh, uh, Virginia will give you, give you an update on that. Um, but essentially, Action leads people out of poverty through education, hunger, um, and housing uh, relief programs. So we're uh we're excited uh to have Virginia and Hilma here with us as we uh celebrate uh GIC. A little bit about Virginia. Virginia joined Action Ministries in 2012 um, while working on her master's degree in um, nonprofit management at Georgia State University. Um, she's a graduate of University of Alabama at Birmingham and World Changers Bible School. Prior to joining Action, Virginia co-founded Arabella Papers, which created artisan jobs in India and supported more than 300 female business owners in the U.S. who sold their products. In her time in Action Ministries, Virginia has managed the Atlanta Women's Community Kitchen the Atlanta Children, Children, and the Atlanta Children's <coughs> Program. She has also helped manage volunteer coordination, fundraising initiatives, and grants with the Action Ministries trans- Transitional Housing, Veterans Housing, and Permanent Supportive uh, Housing Programs. So... Um, would you please uh, help me in welcoming Virginia and Helma this morning again? Thank you. Thank you, Tim, for having us. And Tim is uh, one of our 
favorite board members at Action Ministries, and so it was a really a big honor to be asked to come and join you guys at Roswell United Methodist, which is one of my favorite church partners that Action Ministries has. Um, thank you guys for having me again, and I'm so glad to he- have the chance to speak with you today. I want to introduce uh, Hilma Cantu. Ms. Hilma is a new volunteer coordinator we just hired in the last six months to serve the Roswell community. Um, and we've, we've received a lot of interest in Roswell saying there's a need for more work in this community. So many of our partners at Roswell United Methodist are so kind as to drive down into downtown Atlanta to do work with our Atlanta Women's Community Kitchen, to do work with Ginger Cash and our children's program, as well as to build food boxes and smart super packs and these all these good hunger relief programs that we run. Um, but there's actually a real need here in Roswell. And so today I wanted to just share a little bit about what that need is um, because it was really startling to me to learn that our next after-school site we were opening would need to be in Roswell, because I've always esteemed Roswell in such a light that it wouldn't need our programming. But I learned that there is a side of Roswell that really could use our help, and I'm very confident, and this is why we opened this in Roswell, is the Roswell community can actually step in and make a significant difference so that there really isn't so much of a need here in this community. Um, a little bit about myself, uh, since this is a personal platform I'm learning. Um, I typically don't prefer to go as personal, but um, I'm from Alabama. I'm one of the many Alabama people who moved here after college. Um, Instead of going to law school, I moved to Atlanta to focus in on um, ministry work and to get involved with churches and actually engage in living out my faith in a way that I never had an opportunity before. I grew up in a family that was not Christian. Um, I grew up in a family, uh, my parents uh, were young adults, just like many of the families we serve, who started having a family while they were in high school. Um, I'm the oldest of five kids, and I'm the only one today in these shoes that's graduated college and that has a career that provides an affordable living situation for myself. Um, I have three brothers and a sister who are all still in the process of figuring all that out, and um, many of them are now in their late 20s, early 30s. So I just say that to share that I personally understand a lot of what our families go through, and I've often spent time reflecting on why am I different and how did that work out for me and not for my siblings. And uh, the more I do this work and the more that the Lord has led me into different aspects of ministry, particularly through Action Ministries, the more I've become aware of what gives some of us a shot and not others. And so I'm going to talk about that a little bit today. Um, I, I actually turned down law school two times. Both times I, I, I wanted to go because I wanted to make a difference in the world. And both times an opportunity presented itself that was challenging and intriguing. And I said, well, I want to try that. You know, I, when I moved to Atlanta, I had to work a job. I got a job wherever they hired me, which happened to be one of America's best printing firms owned by a Buckhead family. Um, and I asked a million questions and learned a million things. Before long, I was able to start a business that manufactured in the U.S. and in India and was a top performer within the market that we operated in, in the stationary business in America. Um, after that, I said, okay, Lord, what next? I turned down law school twice. I'm, I'm not sure quite what am I going to do with my life. And I learned about this nonprofit management program that Georgia State offered that is one of the best in the nation. It's actually, amongst the graduate programs of its sort, one of the top five in the nation. And the other four were all Ivy League universities. And I said, wow, I, I wish I'd known that was here sooner. I would have started a long time ago. And I learned a great deal. Uh, we were trained by people that are working in executive positions at a lot of Atlanta's top nonprofits like the American Cancer Society, for example. Um, And I immediately started working at Action Ministries while I was in that program and have just kept running since then. Uh, 
one of the things I learned in the last year was that we had some really amazing programming that many of you guys or your families may have been involved in, and that was through our children's programming. Miss Ginger Cashin, for 22 years, helped us do children's enrichment programming in every single shelter in those years as time evolved, serving these children that were homeless in the most dire situations. And when I started with Ginger, I said, Ginger, why am I getting these phone calls? I have young adults <clears throat> calling me saying, can we speak to Miss Ginger? Is she still around? They're, in, they're calling because they wanted to share, can you tell her I graduated from college? And I was like, every month I got a phone call from somebody. And one young lady said, can you tell Miss Ginger, I, I got my MPH, my master's in public health from Emory, and I'm going to Africa to serve hungry children there. I said, well, how did you meet Miss Ginger? I was in a shelter for three months, and she changed my life. And so I went to Ginger. I said, I must learn. How do you change a child's life in three months so much that they owe you, they give you the credit for that accomplishment? And she said something that I'll never forget, and it's why we're here today. She said, I told these children they were smart kids. I may have been the only person that ever told them that, but I convinced them they were smart kids. And then I convinced them that they could do well in school. And then we helped them do their homework every night while we had them. And when they got the A's in school, they, their, their eyes lit up, they beamed, and they began to believe what I said was true. And then they became addicted to success in school. I said, wow, that's all it took? She said, that's really all it is. That's what it's all about. And so Ginger retired this past December. And fortunately, before she left, we began working on a plan to help that program become available to all of the children we serve. We currently serve 6,000 children a day in our summer feeding programs in 19 counties in Georgia, providing them with free lunches, with volunteers just like the volunteers we have at this church. How do we do more for those kids? We know they're hungry. We now know how to change their lives by helping them succeed in school. And so we're working on that. Our board approved just this past fall an initiative for us to scale our after-school programming into 10 new sites in the next three years. Uh, we're also we've now created a model that will expand that enrichment into all of our summer programming. So those 6,000 kids that we now feed, we're now going to train the volunteers and churches in those communities to make the same impact. So I just want to share a few things with you here today. Um, Ms. Helm, I think we are ready to start the slideshow. Thank you. Two-thirds of students who cannot read proficiently by the end of fourth grade will end up in jail or on welfare. There's so much research that goes behind this data, so much so that in many systems when they evaluate how many prison beds to build in the 10 and 20 year plans, they look at how many children are at third grade reading level by fourth grade in that community. And then they use this statistic to help predict the future needs of the social network between jail and welfare. Two thirds, 53% of the fourth graders last year in Fulton County were not proficient. That's a daunting statistic, and I'm just gonna let it sit there for two seconds. <clears throat> Guys, it's very simple why this is. By third grade, you learn to read. Starting in fourth and fifth grade, you have to use that reading skill to learn everything else you learn in school. And if you aren't good at that, you never do quite learn, and you never quite catch up. That is why a child who's not proficient in third grade is four times more likely to drop out of high school than a child that is. They simply fall behind, and they begin to believe they're stupid. And then by the time they hit high school, it begins to make more sense to drop out and get a job to help mom pay for the food than to stay in school where they're failing and where they feel stupid. <clears throat> the other thing is they also are 14 times more likely to wind up dropping out and ending up in the criminal justice system. So we want to do, there's, there's some daunting news here, but let's go to the next slide. That doesn't show up too well, 
But the question is, why can't our kids read well? Why are so many children not proficient by third to fourth grade? It's poverty. More than 75% of the children in Fulton County who are not growing, who are not proficient in reading, they're growing up in poverty. It's the number one common attribute. If you look at this bar, what that's forecasting is that's showing on the left are those kids that are economically disadvantaged and their proficiency level. On the right, the children that are economically advantaged. Let's go to the next slide. We have to ask ourselves then, okay, that's great. We obviously can't make poverty completely disappear. That's a problem that is has been with mankind forever, and it will probably always remain with us. But how does poverty prevent success in school? Can we do something about that? It's actually pretty simple. Uh, being in Action Ministries, where we, we really focus on poverty, we specialize in it, we all work very hard to understand the ins and outs of what is controllable and what we can do. These are some things we can actually help with. A lot of children simply don't succeed in school. They don't learn how to read on time because they have a lack of nutrition. There are so many kids in poverty who the meal they get at lunch, that one lunch at school, is the only meal they get each day. And for those children who are in severe poverty, that is actually what motivates them to go to school. I had a hard time believing that until I started meeting these children. And that is true. You see them go home for Christmas and they come back and they've lost 10 pounds of weight. And they're skinny because they didn't have that daily meal. So a lack of nutrition, if any of you guys have ever starved, your brain does not function properly. These kids cannot actually learn quickly at the pace we need them to learn to catch up in school. <coughs> Another thing is a lack of books in their homes. In Georgia, when you look at a community of children living in poverty, there's only one per 300 children that has a household with age-appropriate books. They don't have them. They don't have access to the library. The, the library is a great cause, but there are actually so many children in Georgia that are in po such severe poverty, they don't even have access to get to the library because oftentimes their parents or their parent is working two or three jobs. So there is no mommy at home to drive him to the library. There is no daddy because everyone is working two or three minimum wage jobs. There's a lack, which is why this happens so often. There's a lack of adult guidance for children in poverty that actually will help them support their success in school. It's very important that a child goes home and has somebody help them learn their multiplication tables, their addition tables, their numbers, to how to write, how to practice, how to read. Just reading, writing, and arithmetic, the practice that we all remember, many of us do, somebody helped us at home, whether it was a brother, a sister, an auntie, a mom, somebody coached us at least to teach us to sit still long enough to do the homework. These kids have zero when it comes to this in many cases, and often it is not. I've seen so often it is not because of a bad parent. It is often because it's a good parent who is working hard to get out of poverty, and that means they're not there. The other item is a lack of informed educators who are aware of the children's challenges. So many times these children go to school. They're hungry. They're neglected. They come to school disheveled. They come to school tired and anxious, and a teacher often mistakes that for a bad child. <coughs> If you're hungry and you're disheveled and you didn't sleep well and you've not seen anybody that loves you for a while, often we become angry. And that happens for a lot of our kids. Let's go to the next slide. I, I, I did a little bit of homework into the data on Roswell because there is very strong data available. And I looked at every elementary school in Roswell. Um, this, and I don't want to name schools because I respect every one of our schools. And I don't think this is a school problem. This is a community problem where families are in poverty and the teachers can't fix it. In the school that has the... Best performance, 26% of their fourth graders were still not proficient. That's the best public elementary school in Roswell, and it's one of the best in Georgia. The worst one, 
74% of those children were not proficient. If we look at what that means for the future of Roswell, for those kids going to the very best elementary school, 17% of them are still on track to end up in jail or welfare. In the worst school, at least 49% will end up on welfare and in jail. And I can say that's very true. Georgia has one of the highest rates of, of, of children growing up in poverty and remaining in poverty as adults. It's very hard to get out of poverty in Georgia. But we can change this. So that's the good news, guys. This is actually something we can do something about. And in a community such as Raza, where there are a lot of really good people, a lot of educated people, and a lot of resources, with focus, we can actually do something in Roswell to turn that tide. And we're trying to now, and we've started. Um, where there's a lack of food, we can feed them. Action Ministries has extensive hunger relief programs. And so we guarantee any child that's enrolled in one of our smart kid educational programs, we will resolve the hunger relief need in their family. And we've, we've started that last year in our Atlanta programs down in Midtown and Downtown. And we've just started that in January with a group of 20 kids here in, in Roswell. When they la- and I just want to mention, when you add 100 to $200 worth of food into a household that needed it, it actually lifts a fiscal burden and makes it better in that household in a lot of surprising ways. I had a mother who, about three months after we started providing her family with the extra food, it got to the point she said, I have no more room in my refrigerator or my freezer. I have to actually say stop. About three months later, she bought a used car and began driving Uber and began earning more income for her family. And that started with us lifting that financial burden for food. It's very real when you make their budgets out and you see how these things tie together. Uh, when they lack the books, we can provide them. Um, we've been working with the superintendent of Georgia's Department of Education, Richard Woods, uh, for two years now. And he just, they, his assistant just called us last week and confirmed. I'd asked, he said, how many books do you need? I said, well, the research shows that a child in poverty, to catch up with a child who's not in poverty over the summer, needs to read five books. So I'd like five books for every one of my 6,000 kids. I got the call last week. We've got 30,000 books for you. We're going to bring them to you next month. So that's wonderful, guys. Wonderful. And they are very happy to work with us because something that Action Ministries has, because of partners with churches like you, is we have the ability to go into local-level communities where the schools can't go. We go into those communities. You guys go into those communities, the apartment complexes, the trailer parks, the extended-stay hotels where families are living temporarily, and you have people that go and feed these families. And now we have books that they can also give those children. And we have training to teach them to help read with those children and teach the parents how to do that with their children as well. So there's, these little steps actually make a big difference. When they lack educational basics, we can teach them. And that's what we're trying to train volunteers through all of our church partners, how to strategically go out and do that in the best way that actually helps the kids succeed in school and close this gap so that more of our kids are learning at third grade and fourth grade literacy levels so that they can actually, once you get them there, they can carry it all the way through high school, the rest of the way home, but they just have to know the basics. Let's go to the next slide. Oh, I want to stop here. This is an important note. This little quote here comes from the Department of Education from the superintendent's office, and this is progress in Georgia, guys. They said, education reform is a shared responsibility. We need partners to support kids when school is out. We've had several meetings in the last year looking at the, the Georgia's education budget, how the money is broken down among the youth in Georgia. And one of the things that was just unavoidable is we're beginning to catch up so that we are at the levels of funding for our education systems in public schools that we were just before the recession. This year closes that gap. We finally come back. So that's great success. But there is still no funding 
and the government cannot fix this peace. And they've recognized that. And they are now officially, as part of their strategic plan, reaching out to community partners just like us and just like you guys to say, can you help us support the kids that are in poverty in the schools? Because we can't do it without you. So that is progress. That's very big progress. Let's go to the next page. So here's a little video, guys. I want to share this with you. This is um, going to show the site that we, Ginger Cashin, and the site that we ran, and we are still running. I'm Ginger Cashin, and I am coordinator of the children's programs and have been doing that for 20 years for Action Ministries Atlanta. It started as an after-school program for homeless children. We were based at a shelter. We shared a space in the basement of the shelter uh, where we had our after-school program. Uh, we developed a more comprehensive program for the kids. We developed a program for teenagers, homeless teenagers, and also we developed um, uh, field trip activities on Saturdays, some evening programs. Recently, in this past year, as we've begun our program here at Grace Methodist Church, um, we're serving a uh, community across the street from Grace, which is the largest area of subsidized housing in the southeast. People come up and say, uh, oh, what are you doing? Uh, what is this program? Other people in the community see that we're having an impact in the children's lives. And people call us, they call Catherine, my coworker, and say, hey, can we get in that program? And we have limited space because we're limited by the walls. We just have a finite amount of area that we can be in here in the church. Um, and people want to be in our program because they, they themselves in the community see the impact we're having on the kids. And the kids love it. You know, when I, this summer I, was, I ran into one of our little kids. And he said, Miss Ginger, when does the after-school program start? I'm ready to come back. I mean, you know, here's a kid in the middle of summer, and he's ready to come back to school. We realized that for um, kids from low-income families, they have very little um, experience of anything other than the poverty they've lived in. So we have taken them to college campuses. We've taken them uh, to field trips all over the city of Atlanta and North Georgia to let them see other places and other people to um, help expand their horizons and help them see something beyond the poverty that they've known. children to eat on a daily basis so you know that's another huge statistic but in terms of the education and poverty I think it's a you know it's a needing to pay more attention to the kind of education our children are getting needing to focus on what our parents need to help the children with education it's a holistic approach to the family and what we need to do to get the family out of poverty the reason that poverty keeps regenerating and we see the same people in poverty, the same families in poverty, is because, you know, we're not addressing the education of our kids. We love to have our volunteers. In fact, the best situation for our kids is to have one-on-one -on -one tutoring with a person that can help just that child. But the volunteers, particularly the college students, are role models for our kids because the kids see that these college students, are, you know, have tests they're taking and they're studying and they're working hard and the kids say, oh, I think I can do that. I can do that. I can go to college. In fact, one of the kids said uh, last year when we were um, had some college students visiting, they said they came over and said to me, Miss Ginger, they live at college. I don't understand living at school. And so, you know, that's just another uh, opening up a horizon for a kid, you know, about going away to college. You know, one thing I really loved about what Ginger accomplished in these years is she helped us form an after-school model that is so simple that it befuddles me that I receive objections 
because so many after-school programs focus on their mission is to provide, which is very, very good, but their mission is to provide children with a safe place after school, which is great. The hard part, though, that and, and it's because of Ginger that I cannot forget this. When I have people who often encourage me to say, we need more space to, to play Everyone basketball, and we need the children to... With you. It's near and dear to my heart. It was a veteran family that... <laughs> To, uh, we need activities for these children, and, and we do. But the problem is we know, and, and Ginger has said this to me over and over, we know that if they don't do their homework when they're with us, they won't do their homework. We know that if they don't learn to read, write, and do their math while they're with us, they won't learn. And that means when we see them in 20 years, we are responsible for them being in prison and them being on welfare. And I've literally watched the result of her devotion to focusing on reading, writing, and arithmetic as what we force our kids to do after school because her kids have grown up and gone to college. And that is the distinctive factor in what Actions After School Program brings. We want to take the statistics that tell us this percentage of our kids in Roswell are not smart kids, they're going to be on welfare, and they're going to go to jail. And we want to turn that upside down and say, no, our kids are smart kids because they're our kids. This is our community. And we don't want our kids to be dumb kids and grow up to be that. We want our kids to be smart kids. So how can we help? And it's really very, very simple. If we can help them get to third grade level by fourth grade, they'll do the rest by themselves. And so what we have is we now have a very simple enrichment model. I'm going to share a little bit real quick. We want to celebrate. In January, we started at Vickery Mill Elementary. That is the newest elementary school here in Roswell. They opened up this year. Um... And there's our Feed the Hungry truck delivering. See these boxes? Hilma was so kind as to help us unload, as well as a lot of um, ministerial staff from your church showed up that day, uh, paired with Alpharetta First United Methodist volunteers and ministerial staff, to help us unload these boxes that provided hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of meals that were going out to these children that are growing up in poverty that are at this school. Over 70% of the kids enrolled in this school come from impoverished families and communities. What was that percentage? Over 70%. They are in a brand new, beautiful school, but boy, they have a lot of need. And the school, I want to just say this, their principal is very impressive. He is trying to do everything right, and he is opening the doors wide open for the community to come in and help these kids with their needs, including us. He has indicated Action Ministries as his preferred after-school provider. The challenge for us is he has more children than we can serve currently. And we hired Hilma, and they constantly ask me, when can we serve more children? I said, well, we, we can serve 20 right now, but there's a direct correlation between the money to fund the program and the number of volunteers that we can bring in based on how many kids we can serve because our model moves the dial, and that's why he wants us. He said, if you can move the dial instead of just do babysitting, we want you here because we need our kids to succeed in school. So why we're here today is to encourage you guys to think about how can I encourage my church, my friends, my network, my family, to help make that more possible for us. We have a school around the corner with great need and with great teachers and great principal and a great principal and great interest in us helping. <coughs> All we need are we need more volunteers to say, I would like to come every Monday or I would like to come every Thursday and sit with a child and coach them on how to read or how to write. And we even provide the exercises. You just have to show up. Every one of you has third grade academic skills, I'm certain. It's, <laughs> it's very simple. There's a couple of exceptions. <laughs> we won't say any names, Doug. 
but <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but we need guys like you guys. We need guys like you, Doug, who have technical skills, who are smart, who can come in and be role models for these children and say, you're a smart kid too. You know, have you ever thought about you can make a job out of computer stuff? You can make a job out of selling stuff. You can make a job out of selling cars. These kids don't know these things. They grow up with parents who don't know how to earn an income or who are struggling to because they've been hit by the recession. Let's roll through this real quick. Um, last year, our statistics showed we increased from 44% of kids in Georgia receiving free lunches to 62% receiving free lunches. And the Department of Education, again, has acknowledged that students living in poverty face unique barriers to succeeding in school and need additional support outside of school. Let's go to the next slide. So here's the mission of Smart Kid. We are here to empower your community to remove the obstacles of poverty so these children can succeed in their school. It's a very simple formula. We provide the opportunities that you can help with. We help provide the training so that your Roswell residents and volunteers can deliver this yourself. Then we come in and help you with ending hunger, and your programming with tutoring helps close that poverty achievement gap. This is all for two specific outcomes. One, we want to, that we measure. We want to see these kids achieve third grade literacy and numeracy. We also want to empower them to develop very positive social and emotional skills. Many of our kids grow up and learn that in Sunday school. They learn that in church. They learn that in sports. And, and these children lack the opportunity to learn how to socially engage well. And that's just as important as literacy because we can see them graduate high school, but if they don't know how to in interact socially in a positive fashion, they are still unemployable. But we can change that at this age with our types of interactions. Let's go to the next slide. So we won't stay on this because it's tiny, but here's just the simple way that we empower your community. We encourage you guys to become a local partner. You're already a local partner. Roswell first, Roswell United Methodist was the first local partner here in Roswell to say, we're going to stand behind this. We will help you make this happen. You adopt a site. We've already adopted Vickery Mill Elementary, where we currently have a class of 20 children that we are serving on Mondays and Thursdays at Roswell Public Library. As we build the support and start seeing that come in, we will be able to serve on-site at Vickery Mill as well as serve more days of the week and more children. And how you guys can help uh, with volunteerism specifically is we need volunteers to sign up for after school. Once every week, once every two weeks, once every month, it's fine. But you, the benefit for you guys is you actually get to know these kids. I mean, they're the same, the same children, and they should be the same children year after year. So you get to see the reward. I have um, people who recently came to our site down at Grace United Methodist, and we have children there that have been there two and a half years now. And they often remark, you know, these children don't seem like they have any needs. They're so well-behaved. They're so well-mannered. They're so good at their homework. And we say, you should have seen them two years ago. You should have seen them. We did that. You guys do that. And we want to see that happen here, too. And that we want to have the pride go through your church when 93% or 100% of the kids you serve make honorable. And you can say, our kids are smart kids, and we did that. That's what we want to have happen. Another way you guys can help is if you can't make it, a lot of people can't volunteer in that way. They can encourage somebody else to, please do. But you also have opportunities where you can assemble uh, snack packs that we need, super packs of food that we send home for the families on the weekend, as well as these smart kits. We're trying to build these learning resources at home so the parents can help teach their kids in ways that we often take for granted. That's something like a book or um, vocabulary writing exercises and games and math basic games. So these are some activities we're trying to put in the children's homes. Let's go to the next one. You'll see this model. One of the things we encountered is, for example, we have 6,000 kids we're trying to reach. You guys have a lot of kids in your community that we may not, we may reach 20 at a time with after school, maybe 40, maybe 60 as we increase support. 
That's a very intensive program. It makes a very big difference in those kids' lives, but we can only serve so many. We also have other types of interactions that allow us to touch more children and make a broader impact in the community, so we don't neglect certain communities or certain kids. We have summer enrichment activities. Then we also have these summer kit, these learning kits that we distribute. And so our goal is to reach far and wide, serve thousands of children, and then slowly allow churches to build those connections in with the families that really show the most potential and the most engagement in wanting that help. So if we go to the next slide, we are wrapping up. Um, we've talked about these opportunities, but again, this is just our model of how we're helping these kids turn things around. Some children, if you just provide them with the books and the hunger relief, their families have what they need to turn it around. Others, if you provide them with certain enrichment, meaning, for example, in the summertime, reading circles to go out into these communities and help say, I'll be here next week at this time. Here's your Choose these from these books. You get to keep them. If you read them, I'll have a star for you next week. That simple activity, week after week during the summertime, literally advances a child in poverty 30% of a grade level over the summer. And that makes a difference if they have a year or so to catch up. So if we, in research has shown that type of summer enrichment, if that happens in a child's life from kindergarten to third grade, by third grade, we've closed that gap just through summer programming, even without after school. So these things are very powerful. And then there's our intensive programming, which we've started right here in Roswell, and we hope to expand. So the next slide is the final one, guys. Um, I just want to challenge you. Roswell United Methodist has said we're a primary backer for this program. What that means, though, is to grow it, we need to indicate that there is financial support that will help us deliver what we're trying to do. Um, our, for example, to, to, for Action Ministries to come into Roswell, I often hear, how much does that cost? It starts at around $60,000 a year for us to set up staff in Roswell and to help coordinate all the multiple churches and programs and sites and people. That's what we're trying to hit right now. That's not a million-dollar seed funding campaign. It's actually very attainable. And the reason it's affordable is Action Ministries offsets a lot of the operating costs. So that is just the bare-bones cost on the ground in Roswell to coordinate your people and help make sure this program runs in a sustainable way. Otherwise, we provide all of the hunger relief. We provide transportation where it's needed. We provide all of the back-end management and oversight and uh, assessments of the children. The other need we need really, though, after-school volunteers. We also can't grow to serve more kids. While we have the funding coming in, we have to have the volunteers because it's that one-on-one -on -one or that one-on-two children's tutoring after school that that's what gives us that 93% success rate in helping our kids become great students. So if you guys have family or if you have spare time, please consider coming out, and these children will brighten your your. I promise they'll brighten your lives. It's the warmest part of my week is when I go to a site and I have that warm hug from the child and that smile and that eagerness to learn. So I hope that you guys might consider if the Lord may be calling you to do that in your community for one of these children. Uh, I guarantee it makes a difference. And then we have these kits, and we'll, you'll be hearing more about that soon, ways that if you want to coordinate something in your men's group or with a business that you have or with your employees to get engaged, we have ways that these groups can get engaged as well through providing us with certain supplies that we can send home into the families and help them continue learning. So I think that is about all the time I have. Um, Tim, should I open up? Are there any questions or, or if anybody, yes? What percentage of your kids are uh, have English as a second language? In this community, almost 100% of the children we chose. And can I share with you why we chose those children? We serve children in poverty all over Georgia, of every type. In this community, we heard that there was a great need in this community, in your school system, to help with those children specifically. And what we did is I went to Vickery Mill 
because what's the ratio at Vickery Mail now of children that come from Spanish-speaking families? 75% of the kids enrolled in that school. And I reached out to Hilma because I knew she worked. She works at school during the daytime as a liaison to those parents. And we talked earlier in the year about the importance of parenting classes, teaching these parents English, teaching them how to help their kids do well in our school system. And she began bringing in all of these wonderful agencies, and she's done this for years at uh, Mimosa as well, previously. Hillside, Hillside. And she began having classes all throughout the week. And so she said, Virginia, how do I pick 20 children from this school? I can't pick. I said, well, I understand. Do me a favor. All those parenting classes you have. I have a hard time in Atlanta having parents show up for parenting classes. Can I see your enrollment? Who came? And we looked at, we began looking at, we looked at about 20 different sheets of all these sign-in sheets day after day, and we had at least 15 families, at least, where the, a parent came to every single class she offered. I said, that is the mom. I want her kids in this program because that mom is trying and she cares, and she, we, she'll she bring home whatever we invest in that child. And so those are the kids we picked. Do yes. the um, students come to the Roswell Library right from a, a bus or something? So we have we have a, an Action Ministries bus that we have... we park at Vickery Mill throughout the week, and Hilma loads them up at the end of the day and drives them over to the Roswell Public Library where our volunteers meet and then help tutor them right now. Yeah, and we are working on to deliver our programming on-site at the elementary school. There are actually costs, and there are a there's a lot of red tape. And so we are working our way through the red tape of the Fulton County School System to have approval to bring our volunteers on the site at the elementary school in the afternoons. Once we have that, we will, we will need a, a, extra funding because Fulton County Schools charges you for... I guess the utilities and the space he's, I know. <laughs> and the principal, even he said, I can't do anything about this, but we need you here. Um, so that's part of where that budget for the 60000 came from, is it includes the costs for the site. Um, but temporarily, we, we went ahead and started at the Roswell Public Library. They give us free space, and all we have to do is get the kids to the site. Um, quick story, one of these kids, the, the father, brought me to tears the other day um, and really sent me home with a high level of burden on my shoulders, I'll be honest. This, the one requirement, these, the children receive free after-school care. We don't charge these families anything. We require their parents to participate in some volunteerism or classes that we approve. We also require them to pick their children up from the program. That eliminates a, a cost that we don't have right now to transport them home. Um, I had a father that many of these parents don't have cars, and they literally pay a taxi to come to the library and pick their children up two days a week, and they are poor. This father came to me, and he said, um, do you speak Spanish? And I said, no, I don't. I'm so sorry. He said, oh, that would help. But <laughs> And then he, he spoke pretty good English. And he said, I, I must tell you, it's very important to me that my son can do well in school. We don't have much money, but we paid for him to take classes to learn to speak English properly. You know, and he started sharing with these things. And he said, and I pay money to come and pick him up when he comes to this program. I need to know you will help him do well in school. I said, oh, <laughs> you know, no pressure. <laughs> but he's clearly watching his kids' marks, and he wants to make sure that we see that progress that we promised we would get. And we need the volunteers to help us because two days a week starts the process. But to move a child into an honor roll status, we need to do more. We need more days a week. Uh, another th reason why I firmly believe in the value of a five-day-a-week program is it frees those parents up not to have to think about what day they go pick up their child, but they now have five days a week where their child is in child care until 5 or 6 o'clock, and they can work more. So that's our goal. So with this program, what's the age group of the kids that are in the program? Yeah. Um, you're two days a week now. Yeah. 
Do you just do they get a meal two days a week, not five? Right. How many meals do they get? And where do you want this to go? Where do you expect? Where do you expect this to be in the next six months or so? Where would you like it to be? Thank you so much for asking those questions. Those are great. So the first question, what is the age group? We primarily focus on kindergarten through third graders, but we are a family-centric program, which means we prefer families with siblings. So if they have, if a child that she has chosen is in kindergarten through third grade and they have a sibling in fourth or fifth or a sibling in pre-K, we bring them into. We want the whole family. That allows us to really change that family's trajectory. Um, so we prefer families. And so for that reason, pre-K through fifth grade. Um, the second question, the two-day program, we want that to expand to a five-day program. That requires more money to pay our coordinator who manages that and manages the many different church partners we are building. Our goal by the end of next, this year, by December, is to have five to six church partners in Roswell that are committed partners, meaning they have fiscal commitments to help support the program and volunteer commitments with engaged members who are actually helping make this happen. Um, those two pieces make that possible. If you ask me where we're wanting to be in three years, we want to help the principal at Vickery Mill, as well as potentially other schools, depending on the support of the Roswell Church communities. But especially, Vickery Mill wants us. They want us. They have 70, over 70% of the kids are in poverty. They need more than 20 kids in their program. And so they're waiting on us to procure the financing and the volunteer base and the stability of our program to be able to come in and be their number one after-school provider. Meals are an important part of this. Meals. Thank you. Good question. Okay. So the children, all, every child receives a snack pack after school. So that typically has two, one or two nutritional snacks and water or juice. Um, no corn syrup juice. Very opposed to that. It makes studying very hard. Um, then we also have, um, if you saw these boxes, these Feed the Hungry boxes each have food for, if you have a Feed the Hungry box by itself, that provides 50 meals for a small family. That's not 50 That's 50 meals. That's about five full meals if you had four or five people serving it. So then you have um, the other thing we provide in those boxes are these super packs. And these go home on the weekends. Our children receive at least one or two every single week. And actually a donation from this church funded enough of those for every one of these kids to receive one or two of those throughout this semester. And each super pack has five meals. And that is sent home. So that is adding in 10 meals for the family. Our preference is that that helps at least cover them over the weekend. So every, every week, the families of these kids get meals. Yes. Right out over the weekend. Yes. And our goal is to expand it. Currently, we're, we have the funding and the food is on site now at Vickery Mill for those super packs for our kids. Um, what would be even better, and what we did in the Atlanta site with other churches down there, is we actually were able to provide each family with those bigger food boxes that give them the staples they need in their home without the need for them to go to local pantries or, or not, or go without. Um, and those boxes come in at uh, $5, covers the cost for us to get those boxes packed and up here, and those include, uh, again, up to 50 meals, Th things like rice and pasta and cereals and oatmeal. Yes. And Virginia, eventually your plan is to move back from the library into the school? And that is our goal. The, it's tough. The library has actually been so hospitable. Um, and one of the positive side effects of that, we really embrace that as a blessing in disguise. Uh, two things. One, we learned that many of the children who come from Spanish-speaking families or immigrant families aren't aware of a public library system. And one of the best days of my year was the first day we brought those families and we invited their mothers to come to, to the library to see where their children would be being educated this semester. And the, the joy on the children's 
faces as they receive their first tour of a library and the excitement when they realize I can take these home, you know, and with for free. I, I saw a, one young girl in particular said, oh, can can I have this book? And, she, and then before I could answer, she said, oh, I know, it costs money. And I said, no, no, it's the library. You can borrow it and you bring it back. She said, I can. And every one of those mothers signed up for a library card. And so that was progress, guys. That's that's important progress. Um, another thing is the library makes, as always in America, made services available to families that were poor in ways that uh, I think many of us forget, but maybe we utilized when we were children. And so it's really touching to see that opportunity uh, to connect those families into the library. Yes. No, North Florida Community Charities has a very large uh, food pantry, and I, I yeah. go there sometimes. And it looks like to me, well, you know, a lot of people go there. How does that impact what you're doing or how they interact? Well, the way we approach that is we want to focus on relieving the needs of these families in the most dignifying way, in the simplest way. And w what I like to do is I like to tell a family, if you have your child in our program and you'll support their learning with us, we can help make sure you don't have to worry about food. You don't have to go and wait in line somewhere. You don't have to time the day and the time and the hour of when you can access that food at a pantry. There is a, a level of pride a lot of families have, and it doesn't matter how many times you go, it hurts. And, and so we want to, I guess I should say, reward these families for investing in their children's success in school by having lifting that burden and just making it, if it's easy for us to get the food to them, we should get the food to them. And we have access to them. So that's the difference. Is uh, it, it, I guess that's the simplest way to say it. That's my intention, and I've seen that work very, very well. It's nice that they don't have to worry about, I need to go to the charity to get food, because I get it from my after-school program. Just a thought. Thank you. We'll give it up for uh, Virginia. <laughs> Fantastic. I think we're going to have some more ladies come join us, I think. So. Uh, in all seriousness, um, so when Virginia, I first heard about this program last fall, I was very excited about it. And I was excited about it for a couple of reasons, okay? Um, one, I'm excited about the work of leading people out of poverty, you know, in general. Uh, second of all, I was very excited about Action Ministries doing something here in Roswell where there was a need. I'm not sure about you. I did not understand the magnitude of it, okay? And hopefully you learned that today. Um, you know, uh, it's a great way for us to share the love of Christ and to serve others in his name. The other reason why I said is, I said, Virginia, especially within Roswell, this plays into the national discussion right now. And I'm not going to get political right now, but there is part of the country that is saying, you know what, you people are not compassionate. And there's part of the country that's saying, oh, I'm very compassionate. Well, either way, here's a great opportunity to prove that, that you are compassionate. Right, and um, this has to deal with immigration right here in our in our community, um, and it's a way that we can love and, and and serve our neighbors in the name of Jesus. So, very very excited about that, and very very um, uh, very grateful for this. So, Virginia, if you wouldn't mind closing us. And so, Tim, can I say one thing first? Yeah. So, so guys, I'm, I'm Chris Weiner. I'm on the global mission team here, and and the reason these ladies are here is because this coincides with our global impact celebration, our mission celebration for this weekend, and this is our focus this year. It's not about, we're not ignoring international trips and evangelization elsewhere, but this is the focus where we think we can make the most impact this year in our own community and, and, and to show our love and our, our attitudes right here at home in a multiplying way. So the, this
this, these, this program is, is on our strategic list. It's very important to us, and it's going to get a lot of focus in the year to come. So I just wanted to reiterate that in case you didn't recognize why we played here. Thank you very much, Chris. I appreciate that. So, Virginia, if you wouldn't mind closing the prayer, that would be great. Thank you. Dear Father, thank you so much for this wonderful breakfast and this fellowship. Thank you for your spirit that's moving in our community and that forever reminds us of your call to love our neighbors. Thank you for helping us today to learn about some of our neighbors who are here with us right now and to show us ways we can help love those neighbors. I pray, Lord, that your spirit will continue to, to comfort and, and guide each of us as we go through these tumultuous times in our country and as we sort out what we believe and what we don't and, and what we want to do about it. I pray, Lord, that you will open our eyes to what we can do in our community right now and, and how you want us to move as the church. Thank you, Lord, for each of these gentlemen that are here today. Thank you, Lord, for the heart of compassion that they each have and the dedication they have to you and to the body of Christ to be here. I pray, Lord, that you'll go with each of us and you'll bless our steps and bless our days. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you, everybody. Thank you.